Okay, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to Sensensa.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. Mort Fattel is a creator of a relationship renewal system that has been used by millions of people in marital crisis. In addition to his success with couples, he pioneered the Lone Ranger track, which offers people a path to reconciliation. Mort Fattel is a subject of Back from the Brink, a documentary, which is about people in marital crisis. Today, Mort will share his wisdom on marriage and long-term relationships with you, so stay tuned. This podcast is made by Sensensa.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to Sensensa.com and sign up. The link is in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. It really helps me keep the positive energy going to make more podcasts. Let's head over and speak to Mort. So I'm really excited today to speak to Mott about relationships and marriage. And Mott, first I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And I just, I have so much I want to talk to you about, so we could probably go on for a long time. But I want to jump into something that might be a bit more personal and closer to home, uh, which would be, I'm really interested in what are some of the important lessons that you have learned from from your own marriage because I feel that might be more personal for people to also relate to yeah so almost everything I teach comes from um, originates from my own personal situation you know I didn't get into this because I wanted this to be my profession I got into this work it really came from a very personal place my wife and I had our own marital crisis many many years ago and we were still horrified with the, the, the quality and of the help that was available to us when we reached out. And also the methodology that was generally being used was so incredibly ineffective. You know, everybody was asking us what was wrong. And uh, the argument just was moved from the kitchen table, you know, into someone's office. Uh, or we were being prompted to consider gender differences. You know, my wife learned about Mars and I learned about Venus and silly counseling techniques like, you know, can you repeat after me? Oh, is that what you said? And just uh, really silly, uh, ineffective uh, processes to try to help in a marital crisis situation. And we were fortunate that um, in the midst of that crisis, we decided to just temporarily put the problems and the issues aside um, to stop putting them front and center, because the more we did, the more the whole experience was negative. Uh, and instead, we just started building goodwill, just doing good, positive things with each other and for each other. And by focusing on the positive instead of the negative, by making new things right, instead of trying to fix what was wrong, that was really the key to turning our marriage around. And that became the foundation for this new methodology that I created, which is called Marriage Fitness. And millions and millions of people have used it since then to help turn their marriage around. Marriage counseling is not, marriage fitness is not marriage counseling. It's an alternative to marriage counseling. And uh, basically, instead of going into the past, uh, we go forward. And instead of focusing on what's wrong, we focus on making new things right. Yeah, you know what? I really love that and resonate with that. So when, 
Um, so I've been through one divorce and we went to three different marriage counselors and therapists. And I think you're spot on that the focus was constantly on what is the problem um, and what is not right. And we would just go over and in many extent, I think it made it far worse. We would leave feeling more resentful than when we came because we were stuck in these petty debates. And I think what you're just talking about now really reminds me a lot of also positive psychology and this idea that it's about trying to focus on how we can flourish and take that as a foundation rather than constantly try and treat everything as an illness or a condition or something being wrong. 100%. And, uh, you know, the, the, the founder of positive psychology is a gentleman named Martin Seligman, who's brilliant. And um, I like to consider myself, I think, as kind of the, the, the Martin Seligman of the marriage world. I love it. Actually, I met him at a talk here in London, which is why when you were talking, it just brought up exactly that for me, that it reminded me a lot of what he was saying and his approach of why he started that whole branch of psychology. Um, and I think it's so much more effective. I think one thing I really learned from my divorce and when I moved on, and now I'm with a beautiful partner and we share free kids and, and have a beautiful relationship, was really that the foundation has to be safety. And I think I always say it's a bit like if you start building a new structure on a bad foundation, you know, there might be a landslide, whatever it might be, it will eventually collapse. So unless we sort out the foundation first, all the rest of the elements will not really work. 100%. And then, of course, that raises a profound question, which is, you know, what, what are the foundational qualities of a successful marriage? There we go. And I'd love to hear your opinion on that. <laughs> yeah, there, there are, there are um, it's not just one, of course. There are multiple, multiple uh, foundational qualities, I would say. Um, but given our time constraints, maybe I'll just mention one or two. One would be, uh, at the risk of sounding very simple, time. What is common sense is not always common practice. So even though it's not a revelatory idea, I think it's worth a few minutes of our time to emphasize the importance of time in a relationship. A marriage can't succeed. Really, you can't succeed in anything in life. This is not just a foundational principle of marital success. It's a foundational principle of success, period. And that is that you cannot succeed at something unless you invest significant time and energy into it. And again, although that sounds so obvious, um, you know, most married couples fall into this pattern where they're kind of leading parallel lives. Um, you know, there's division of responsibility. Traditionally speaking, you know, he's working and she's taking care of the kids. Um, but even if it's not a traditional home, there's some division of responsibility. And, um, you know, the, the two people, though, are not really deeply intertwined in each other's lives, uh, even though they're living under one roof. Emotionally speaking, uh, they're quite disconnected. Very often people are separated, emotionally that is, long before they are separated physically. And it's because they're not spending significant time together. So in the marriage fitness program, uh, I offer a whole series of relationship habits that give us a lifestyle where on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, we are spending the kind of time with each other that, that, that cultivates a healthy, connected, loving relationship. 
And if, if, if people are not doing that, then there is no way to succeed in marriage, just like you, you wouldn't expect to succeed in your golf game or at work if you didn't really invest significant time and energy. So that's, um, that's one sort of foundational quality. And I think, thank you for bringing that up, because I think this is so important and it's something that's rarely ever discussed. And I heard this myself. My ex-wife used to say it to me that it should just be natural and spontaneous, like falling in love. And I so agree with what you say. And I think it's so important to realize that anything worth having in life takes effort and to sustain anything takes effort, just like running a business as an example as well. If you stop doing anything on it, it will eventually falter, right? And collapse. And the same with our relationships. We somehow have this romantic presumption that they shouldn't be effort. If it's the right person, it should just be natural. And that might be interesting if you could just touch maybe a bit on that topic too. Yeah, 100%. In fact, I was going to mention something else, but the comment that you shared with me that your wife made inspired me to, um, uh, to go in a different direction. And the truth is that I probably should have brought this one up first, because although there are maybe a couple of dozen important sort of foundational qualities to a marriage. This one I'm going to mention now that your wife's comment inspired me to mention is probably the most important bar none. And that is that marriage is like anything else in life. There's a way to do it. It requires wisdom. There's nothing on earth that we can succeed at without knowing how to do it. Well, think of your profession. There's some training. Uh, your golf game, uh, you know, or how to put together some new gadget you just purchased. There's a manual. There's a way to do it. If you know how to do it, first, first you have to understand that there is a way. And if you learn that way and employ those instructions, your chances of being successful, whether we're talking about your profession or your golf game, are dramatically improved. If, on the other hand, you're going to insist on grabbing the golf club, ignoring the fact that there are certain principles that drive, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> the success of one's golf game, and you're just going to start whacking away, well, you're not going to be very good. You're not ever going to get good. I want to point out, by the way, it really doesn't matter how hard you try. Work ethic is only valuable if what you're working on will work. <laughs> if what you're working on won't work, you can do it a million times. You'll just get better at being worse. And so this romantic Hollywood notion that uh love is a mystery that it should be natural using your ex-wife's phraseology um, and that you have to be lucky in love is simply a lie it is a massive lie told by romantics and uh, believe it at your own risk you know the, the the truth is and any person of any substantial wisdom will validate this that marriage is just like anything else. There's a way to do it. And so getting back to your question, what would be, how would I define this fundamental quality? I would define it as uh, marriage education. I would define it as a desire 
and a recognition of the importance of learning how to do marriage since I'm in a marriage. Um, and and the, the quality of having that yearning, that learning in our marriage that we're constantly uh, exploring and, and understanding what is it about this relationship that's going to make it successful and then employing those things that we're learning. So at the risk, I, I fear that this maybe is coming across as a little abstract. So let me give you another example. I say another because I already gave you one, right? Uh, time. Uh, and and as, as, as obvious as that sounds, a lot of people just don't understand that that's the case. And they think that, you know, they should just be able to cruise along in their marriage and pay attention to everything else, and the marriage should still be there successfully, even though they're not paying attention to it. That's just ridiculous. Um, I'll give you a second example. Very most people in their marriage um, participate in what I call the three C's: criticize, condemn, and complain. And when they do it, they mean well. Um, they want it to work. They think it's going to work. In the back of their mind, they're saying to themselves, if I can't tell you what I think and what's on my mind, then there must be something wrong with our relationship. And so they have a whole narrative that supports this behavior. But the fact of the matter is that criticizing, condemning, and complaining does not work, ever. It will not work. And if you're doing it, then you're conducting yourself in a way that is guaranteed to fail. And so this, again, this is a piece of wisdom. It's a piece of knowledge. It's a piece of information. It's, it's, it's part of the instruction manual that you simply have to understand in order to succeed in marriage. And if you understand it, then you follow my simple advice about the three C's, which is don't do it <laughs> ever. Now of course that now of course that raises a excellent question which is then what do I do when I'm upset what do I do when I'm frustrated what do I do when I want my spouse to change okay that's a good question and there are good answers to that question and that's part of the marital education to understand what do I do when I'm feeling frustrated but but, but before we even get there one has to appreciate that what you don't do is criticize, condemn, and complain. It it might be interesting actually. Now, we we have gone this direction a little bit to also talk about, um, yeah, how do people deal with, like you said, when they feel frustrated if they are triggered, which obviously we in, inevitable will be because we are different people. We come from different backgrounds. We have different stories, different wounds. Um, so eventually there will be conflict. And that's obviously doesn't mean the relationship is not working. It's a natural part. It's more how we deal with those conflicts that are essential. So would you maybe be able to give some tips or hints to people about how they might be able to better deal with these frustrations and eventually conflicts that might arise? Sure. So first of all, just to validate what you said, conflict is natural in a relationship. Um, in fact, one of the great marriage researchers, John Gottman, discovered that the variable that is most likely to predict a divorce, in other words, a failed marriage, is the absence of conflict or the avoidance of conflict, which is fascinating because you would think that a couple that doesn't have conflict is good to go. Quite the opposite. Um, the absence of conflict is reflective 
of um, the absence of closeness, which ultimately leads to the the the, uh, the failure of the marriage. You know, you you um, when you're close to somebody, you're going to step on their on their toes. That's natural. So anyway, um, that, I'm just validating that you know it is uh, it is natural. And so you're asking for some tips on how to engage in conflict. Yeah, when people feel that trigger, when when they are frustrated because maybe their needs are not being met, whatever it might be, how can they then try and engage? Because of course, just suppressing it is not the solution, which we both know. So how how can they try and engage their partner? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of tips. First of all, uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Most people approach it in the opposite way. They want to be understood. So let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I want. Let me tell you what my problem is. Uh, Let me give you my whole autobiography. The problem with doing that is that your spouse is generally feeling the need to be understood. And until you give them, until you fulfill that need for them, it might be very hard. It will be very hard for them to really hear you, not hear you physically, they'll hear you physically, but really take in what you're saying. The need to be understood is like emotional oxygen. Once you give it to somebody, they can now breathe. And their ability to emotionally breathe, so to speak, opens them up to really listening to you. And once they're understood, it's much more likely that they'll be inspired to understand you. No, I just feel this is really, really an important point. So I just wanted to sink in for for people listening, because again, what you're describing, and I really like how your description of these things are very practical. They're not, you know, big theories, but also just for people who, who like a bit of the theory, it's also that doing what you describe here, open up, you know, empathy in the other person. And that's why they then are more able to hear us rather than becoming defensive because they feel attacked, like you said, with the free seas. They instead can, suddenly when we show we can understand them, we open up their, their empathy as well. And that makes them able to now listen to us. So I think it's just a beautiful, practical description. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was one of the things that frustrated my wife and I many years ago is that we were sort of getting all these philosophical explanations that seem to be coming from people who studied this stuff in school, but didn't actually experience it on the ground. And uh, we experienced it on the ground. Add to that, I'm a highly practical person. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I think I do and try to do well is uh, really give people step-by-step practical, concrete uh, explanations and instructions on, you know, what they, what they should do. Uh, So that's one, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Second is when we're frustrated and angry, we tend to give ourselves license to act and speak impulsively. And acting and speaking impulsively in marriage is kind of like eating impulsively. Uh, It feels good in the moment the cake or the chocolate hits your tongue, but you pay the price later. And um, so it's important to align your your words and your actions with your goals and your values, not your impulses. And so you have to ask yourself when you're frustrated, upset, what am I trying to accomplish here? What's the goal? What do, what do I, how do I want this to turn out? What's the outcome I'm looking for? 
if you just want to lay into your spouse so you feel relief five minutes later, okay, you can do that. But is that really what you want to just feel relief five minutes later? And now you're going to make things worse because you just laid into your spouse, because you raised your voice, because you used inappropriate language, because you, you know, whatever the list goes on, uh, you'll feel justified in doing it because in your narrative, your spouse is wrong. And you might even feel a little better a few minutes after you do it because now you let it out. But the consequences to behaving that way are disastrous in a marriage. And so it's important, again, to align your actions and your words with your goals and your values, not with your impulses. And that takes discipline, that takes restraint. It's like when you're standing in front of the refrigerator. Um, you know, my goal and my value, my, I value good health. And my goal is to be healthy and to be in shape and to be trim. And I'm going to align my actions with that goal. And so I'm going to reach for something healthy. I'm not going to cave to my impulses and reach for a Hershey bar. Um, and this quality, let, let's, let's offer a term. Let's, let's assign a term to this. Let's call it discipline, right? What's discipline? Discipline is doing what you, what you don't want to do when you know it's going to work. It's, uh, it's doing the right thing, not because it feels good, but because it is good. And so it's important to be disciplined when we're frustrated and angry and engaged in conflict so that what we're doing and saying is consistent with the outcome that we want. Uh, of course, first you have to be clear on the outcome you want. A lot of times people are just so lost in their emotions that they're not even clear on the outcome. They're just screaming and yelling and criticizing and complaining. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, they're, 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 like a, uh, they're, they're like a grenade in their own kitchen. Yeah, this is, so this is, again, uh, another great point I think you're bringing up. So for people actually to also spend some time reflecting on what are their values and because I speak to a lot of people who can't even answer that question and what are their goals, what is the outcome they want and I, I also want to say to people that struggle with that emotional control where they like you said they burst out and they offload and feel a little bit better because I know I struggled when I didn't feel heard which is I guess part of my my childhood wounds and I think understanding the adrenaline stress response really helped me a lot because I learned that and I use this now that if I know I struggle to control and I can feel in my body I'm close to that point where you say we we offload I simply go out and do some physical exercise whether that's running boxing on my boxing bag whatever it is it gives me a physical release and after that I'm able to restore some of that discipline that you talk about where I can then be able to align with my goals so I would always say if people really struggle with that self-control have some kind of physical outlay when they feel that impulse coming is a really good idea excellent idea another suggestion yeah, another suggestion to, uh, to work on that is to realize that some of these qualities many of these qualities um, you want to cultivate them not only for the benefit of your marriage but for the benefit of your life and to the extent that you're cultivating them for your whole life you're more likely to have them available to you in your marriage when you need them rather than trying to draw on them exclusively in a marital context. In other words, um, 
you know, let, let's say that I am, uh, um, you know, let's say I am a uh, football player and I'm lifting weights, uh, you know, in order to excel at football. And so I'm building up my muscles. Well, if, God forbid, a friend of mine and I get into a car accident and my friend is trapped in the car, I can now use those muscles, not for football, but maybe to pry open a door or to break a glass or to pull him out or whatever the case may be. And so, um, so tying that back into marriage, I'll give you a personal example. In my family, in our family, we have this phrase that we, uh, we remind ourselves of uh, and we talk about often. It's always speak in a calm voice. Always speak in a calm voice. And this is like a mantra in our home. My kids could all repeat this phrase to you. Um, when, when we see somebody in a store or on street or whatever, like raising their voice, speaking out of control, like, you know, my kids will look at them like, what is that? What, what, what are they doing? Like, I don't get it. Like, they, they don't recognize that kind of behavior. Um, and so always speak in a calm voice. So if, so this is just an example. If you're cultivating that value and consistently employing that value in all areas of your life, so then you'll have it when you're experiencing frustration in your marriage and yelling and screaming or raising your voice just won't be who you are. It won't be an option. It'll be something you're used to reining in. You'll have it available to you there. Um, so that's it's just an example of a lot of these qualities that you want to cultivate for the sake of your marriage, you really want to cultivate for the sake of your life. And the more holistic you look at these character traits that you're developing, the more likely you are to have them available to you at the point of contact in your marriage. Which kind of, which, which maybe brings me to a third, um, you know, a third uh, quality, a really important quality. It's just it's a perfect parlay into this, you know, which is one of the most important qualities to uh, for a successful marriage is that people are into character development it's part of their lifestyle because a marriage is only as good as the people in it and um so you want to uh you know you want to really have as a matter of lifestyle the constant cultivation of good qual good good character traits and uh, the more the husband and wife in, the, in their lives are working on that, sensitive to that, the more likely it will be that uh, those qualities will bless the marriage. Yeah, I think that it's so important, this point again, that, and you're right, emotional development serves us in all points of life, right? I think a lot of uh, the research and that has also really shown that people do better if they have a high emotional intelligence. So you're right, this is something we do for yeah, with so many other associated benefits. Um, so, so thank you for bringing that point up as well. I think that was really important. I wanted to pass over to a question because it's one that I have got quite a few times, primarily from women, actually. And the question is, what are ways that, you know, I could figure out whether a partner is compatible for me to marry? 
Um, like I said, it's not a question I would normally ask, but I feel my listeners might want to hear an answer to this. So I pass that on to you. Yeah, interesting question. Not a question I get often because, of course, in 99.9% of the cases, I'm dealing with people that are already married and in many cases married for years. But I can definitely answer the question. It's something I've thought about. Uh, let me just say before I answer that I'm going to give one answer, one, you know, but, but there, it's a big question. And, you know, when I have this conversation with my children, uh, you know, there are a couple of dozen things that I would recommend that, uh, you know, that they be looking for in a potential spouse. But I'll mention one that I think is interesting and, um, and key. As we talked about earlier, conflict is natural in a marriage. It's going to happen. And we can talk till we're blue in the face about how to engage in conflict successfully. And a lot of what I teach in that regard, I think, should be learned and can be helpful and will help people get through conflict. However, no matter how emotionally evolved you are, no matter how many strategies and um, principles and practices you learn from Mort Fertil, and no matter how good you are at employing them, there will be instances in your marriage when you're engaged in conflict that you cannot seem to resolve. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen multiple times over the decades. And if you don't have a way to get through that conflict, to get past those moments, it can be disastrous because, of course, it's those moments and those issues or those conflicts that are most important to you and your spouse. Otherwise, there wouldn't be that stalemate. And so what do you do? Uh, how do you get past those issues? Very often what people will do, well, they, will they will just simply give up. In other words, they'll subjugate themselves to their spouse. Okay, fine, have it your way. But if it really is something important, and if your conflict wasn't really resolved, but you just gave in, that's not good. And if you do that enough, it's going to build a mound of resentment that will eventually explode years later. Another option is for you to muster up all your strength and domination and courage and just say, look, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. This is the way it's going to be. And you make it happen. You just take over. And you can do that, but that ultimately is going to lead to your spouse feeling controlled. It's going to squash a lot of intimacy. And ultimately, if you do that enough, that will lead to the explosion of your marriage down the line also. So how do you get through this? So what I recommend to couples is that they have a mutually agreed upon unbiased, objective, third-party professional that they go to, not to discuss the issue and to try to seek resolution between the two of them. That might be a different piece of advice. Maybe that's something that you could do, but let's, for discussion purposes, assume you've already done that. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It's fine to do that. Let's assume that you've already done that just for discussion purposes. We went to some professional, they tried to walk us through all these conflict resolution techniques. At the end of the day, we still have not resolved this. So what do you do? 
So my wife and I do this sometimes. We go to this mutually agreed upon professional and in a couple of minutes, we explain to them what is the issue at hand, what's going on here. And we ask him to resolve this for us. You know our family, we trust you, you're a man steeped in wisdom, and we can't get through this, what should we do? And this, we give this person permission to basically resolve this for us, map out for us how this is going to get resolved. And my wife and I go into that meeting agreed that whatever he says, we're going to do. And, um, and that's it. 20 minutes later, it's over. It's done. And I've been on both sides. Of course, it's easy when he maps it out in a way that I was suggesting to begin with. It's not so easy when uh, he maps it out in the way my wife wanted. But my view at that point is, I must not have been looking at this well. Because this person is a spiritual giant. This person is much wiser than me. And I must have been missing something. And anyway, it's over. It's resolved. And I feel better about that. I want you to know that this is, uh, I insist that my kids have this conversation with any prospective spouse. And if they are not willing to subject themselves to this resolution, this form of resolution, to this, to some mutually agreed upon third party, I tell them to run. This brings up, first of all, it's, it's a really interesting advice. I've never heard this before. And also, I think it brings up what I think is important to mention, because a lot of people don't want to go to third parties because they feel it means that something is wrong with them and their relationship. And I very much agree on this idea that we should have regular check-ins anyway. It's something I said to my partner. I want to have a regular check-in with a third party where we can see if there are things we've been unable to bring up with each other that we can now do in this context. Um, and it's such a healthy way to have that. And like you said, find a mutual upon person that both people trust and agree to. Um, so it's a really interesting point. And I think one thing that I normally try to say to people um, before they want to get to that stage of long-term commitment or marriage, whatever it is, is to say, you know, we need to give each other a map of ourselves because essentially being married and being able to make that work is that we have a map of each other. So you understand your wife, she understands you, we know each other's triggers. Like just recently, I discussed with my partner because we have very different ways of of engaging with planning. So I like to plan a few weeks around and she's very, very spontaneous. And again, this is just a small example of something that can cause conflict, right? One person might feel more relaxed and safe when they plan and the other one might prefer the flexibility. And again, it's good to sit down, I feel, before getting married and have some of these discussions and self-awareness and give your partner that map and say, this is how I function well. I feel more calm knowing what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. And then you can find ways to work that out together rather than often people don't even have these discussions and after they're married it all just comes as a shock when suddenly they have different ways of wanting to raise the kids one might be messy the other one orderly etc etc and just sit down and have these very open and honest conversations can be very helpful i find yeah 100 percent um, and I think the next thing I want to, I don't know how much time we have, but I'll just keep cracking on because there's so much good 
stuff here for the listeners. So I think often people also mention to me that they don't really feel loved by their partner. What are some ways if if somebody, some of our listeners are sitting out there and feeling, yeah, I, I feel like that. How can they basically get their partner to show them the love in the way that they need that to be shown? Is that, Do you have some ideas for how people can go about this, again, without trying to change their partner? So it's a big question, a lot of different ways to answer it. Um, given the time constraints, I'll just mention one, one angle. I think it's important to realize that your spouse doesn't treat you simply based on who they are. They treat you also based on who you are. In other words, if your spouse is not treating you in a way that such that you feel loved, I'd be willing to bet that that's partly because, not exclusively, but partly because they don't feel loved. <laughs> um, and so it might behoove you to ask yourself, Uh, how can I behave in a way such that they would feel more loved? And that would create a situation where they're much more likely to reciprocate. By way of analogy, let's say I go to Marshall's and I buy a vase for $15. So I might bring it home, throw it on the couch, give it to my 11-year-old. When I get around to it, I'll pick it, I'll put it up on the mantle. But if I go to Sotheby's and I buy a vase for a million dollars, you can bet I'm not going to throw it on the couch. You can bet I'm not going to let my 11-year-old anywhere near it, and I'm going to hire a professional to secure it to the mantle immediately. Why? Why do I handle those two vases so differently? Simply because I value them differently. The same is true in a relationship. People are often asking, why did he do that? Why does she treat me that way? The answer almost always is, at least partly, because that's how they value you. That's how they value the marriage. And that's not simply because of them. That's because of you, partly. In other words, you haven't contributed necessarily to the marriage in a way that elevates the value of the relationship such that they would cherish it, so that they would be so careful with it. People conduct themselves in marriage in foolish, casual ways, often because they don't feel they have much to lose. But if this relationship is something that I really value, something I really cherish, then I'll be more careful with it. I once had a, um, a man who I was working with say to me, um, without offering you the whole context, uh, we were discussing something and he he kind of twisted something that I said and, and, and he said to me, I feel like more that I'm going to be walking on eggshells. Now that's a derogatory phrase that nobody wants to be quote walking on eggshells, but I spun that around for him. And I basically said, yeah, that would be a good idea not to walk on eggshells, but it would be a good idea to be really careful in your relationship with your wife. It would be a good idea to treat her in a way that demonstrates how much you cherish her. That's not a negative thing about walking on eggshells. That's the way we treat anything that we value. And so if you want to get the love that you want, 
then you have to contribute to the marriage in a way that elevates the value of the marriage in the eyes of your spouse. And then you're much more likely to get the behavior from them that you're looking for. Yeah, that's a really interesting take. Again, I've never heard that take on it. But of course, you're right that we invest in what we value. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's anyway, because I know I heard you on another podcast talk a bit about the five love languages and your take on that. Is there a way that we can kind of communicate to people? Yeah, ways that maybe we have a preference of how we we like affection to be showed towards us. Like I know I like physical touch and massage, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a real simple strategy. The chances are very good that whatever it is that you want and really enjoy, you got before from your spouse because that's why you married them. Um, and so do a remember when. You know, I love it when you X, Y, and Z. Remember when you... And, and how fabulous that was, right? You're setting yourself up, you're setting your spouse up to be your hero. You're letting them know how easy it would be for them to win with you. And we all want to win. We all want to feel like we're a good husband or a good wife. And if you make it easy for me, um, so I know exactly how I've succeeded before and how I can succeed today, uh, I want to feel good about being a husband, so I'm much more likely to come through. And especially if you present it in that way, like you've done this before, and it made me feel awesome. Yeah, absolutely, Maud. I, I have so much more I want to talk to you about, but maybe we'll do another one um, in the future again. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast. And like I said, I hope we get you on another podcast in the in the near future. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast. Also, leave a review to keep the positive energy going. That really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts. If you want to learn the key skills to a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, then head over to sensor.com and join the free one-hour webinar. The link is in the description. You'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down. The how your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle, why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, the simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast. <music>